Yeah, I'm like Neo now. <laughs> oh, that was good. That was good. That's Morpheus. everyone jurassic views bryce diamond holding it down love and greetings from zyaquiana courtney wright can't wait for them to return we've had a little vacay during the nba finals we thought why not you know it's june gemini season the days are long the weather is warm minus say saturday which was almost a record low but you know you need to take advantage of these june days uh we have birthdays this month shout out to courtney whose birthday uh was earlier this month shout out to zaya whose birthday is later this month uh big month uh some people even told me father's day was yesterday uh, I saw enough family first photos uh, this past week and weekend, obviously, with with that celebration of, of Father's Day. But it has been a great month, a relaxing month, a needed month as we approach uh, the draft, as we have concluded the NBA season with the finals being over. And for Jurassic Views... Uh, just a couple more episodes and we complete season two, our second season as a pod, very exciting stuff. Uh, I feel like we've done a lot. I, uh, we've accomplished quite a bit. Uh, we have recorded over 180 episodes, uh, sometime in this off season, we'll hit 200 episodes. Hopefully we've got the whole squad for that one. Uh, that will be special. Um, but, you know, we've had numerous amounts of guests. We have two playlists on Spotify. If you haven't uh, taken a, a, a peek at that, it's Jurassic Views Season 1 and then Jurassic Views Season 2. Basically, we take all the titles of our episodes or songs we reference uh, during our recordings, and we just put those on uh, in in a in a song list, and we just share it with folks. So if you haven't had a chance to listen, uh, it's a lot of fun, I think, um, as someone who gets to name a lot of the episodes. Uh, I I you know make sure that obviously. The, the title is referencing things that, that we've talked about or, or sums up maybe the episode. Uh, but yeah, we just have a lot of fun with it. Zaya sometimes, Courtney even, will get in there and, and give some ideas around the titles of the episodes. But the song lists are dope. Uh, yes, does it have a lot of 90s hip-hop and R&B? Yes, it does. Uh, I am a child of the 90s. My high school days were in the 90s, and, uh, you know, that's where I'm going to be. That's my sweet spot. 
Um, but we, we have a mix of other things. We had Billy Joel was in this season's uh, playlist. It was a title uh, of, of the episode after the first game, I believe, against the Brooklyn Nets. Um, when KD took over with James Harden in the fourth. Yes, James Harden was on the Brooklyn Nets earlier this season. What a crazy year it has been this year. It has been all over the place, kind of like how this introduction to this episode is all over the place. But it's been a ton of fun. Season two, Jurassic Views, whether it's the playlist or these episodes, it has been a ton of fun. We have a big three, as you've heard, if you've listened to the last three episodes, uh, I have talked about JV's big three, um, and that's exciting. Um, we've got more guests coming to the show, uh, which we're really excited about. Uh, we'll have a guest as early as next week to talk about top point guards, those who influenced the league, the game, and even our individual games. So look out for that episode. Uh, that we'll record and publish next week. Um, and we've got a friend who's a, a personal trainer, owner, or at least co-owner uh, of a gym, who will be coming on to talk about off-season training. We're going to have a wine episode. Um, just so much uh, basketball to talk about. And, and more than just the game itself more than just the Raptors. Um, we're going to talk about things, aspects that, that touch uh, the game or ways that players express themselves away from the court. Uh, two big time movies uh, are coming out, which uh, if you haven't seen already, uh, make sure you tune into those. Um, two NBA focused movies. Uh, one just got released uh, a couple weeks ago called Hustle. Saw that with my family. Uh, although there is a lot of, um, you know, language that might be uh, a little bit too much to sensitive ears. My eight-year-old daughter, who has listened to enough 90s hip-hop and two early 2000s hip-hop, uh, you know, didn't skip a beat. Were there new words that she was introduced to? Possibly. Uh, but the movie itself was great, and I have never seen so many NBA people involved. Uh, there was N1 mixtapes people from 20 years ago, like The Professor. Uh, there were TNT, NBA on TNT personalities. Um, there were just cameo appearances all over the place. The Spanish national team uh, got love. There was NBA scouts, coaches, analysts. It was star-studded. Um, a movie produced or co-produced by the one and only LeBron James. And the stars came out. The stars aligned, and it was a bonafide film. Uh, Zaya, Courtney, and I will be talking about some of our favorite NBA movies this offseason. So... Uh, make sure you catch the films, but also catch that episode. But this episode, unfortunately, is going to be a solo project. Um, it will be another one of those monologues that I have done. Um, if you <laughs> have heard any monologues from me this season, um, 
then you can tune out now. Thanks for, for joining me for the seven and a half minutes already. Uh, but if you enjoyed um, some of those monologue, mostly post-game uh, episodes, which many of you have, uh, some of our most listened to episodes this season, um, episode numbers or, or, or a listenership of, of over 50 people uh, were in those kind of solo projects. So uh, I guess I'm doing okay in, in talking by myself. Um, as many have said and many have heard before, I can talk to a wall. That's how much I enjoy talking about the NBA. All right, this episode is focused on the finals. A little finals recap. The Boston Celtics made it to the NBA finals for the first time since 2010. They had knocked on the door many times in the last decade, including 2017 and 2018, uh, but all the knocking did not get them get them to the finals. And this year, they went through a very difficult path. Uh, they started with the Brooklyn Nets, who, uh, you know, were probably a top three favorite to come out of the East. Um, sorry, Philly fans, uh, but your Sixers were not believed in at all. I don't even think Philly fans, you believed in the Sixers outside of them getting past the Raptors. And even that was suspect when it was 3-2 in the series. Uh, but the Brooklyn Nets got handed a sweep. The brooms were out um, in Brooklyn from Boston fans who had visited that the Barclays Center uh, for Game 4 of that series. They, they rolled through that series. And then they had two very difficult series against two shorthanded, banged-up teams, which is just how the playoffs go. And interestingly enough, the Boston Celtics stayed relatively healthy throughout the playoffs. Yes, there was some drama uh, where we saw players in the Heat series leave the court, uh, go into the locker room, and come back. Actually, twice in one game, <laughs> Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart did that. But for the most part, outside of Time Lord, uh, Robert Williams, who missed a bunch of games, this Boston team was as healthy a team as there was in the NBA playoffs. Golden State, the same. I mean, this is just part of the playoffs. There will be injuries. It is a competition of attrition. If you don't have the endurance, you don't have the good fortune of having health, then this is where uh, your playoffs might end. And in the case of the Brooklyn Nets, who were without Ben Simmons, um, in the case of uh, some other teams, you know, Memphis Grizzlies had John Morant go out, although I thought that was kind of to their benefit to some degree. Um, you know, the, the Milwaukee Bucks were without Chris Middleton. And Boston took advantage of that, especially late in that series. And the Miami Heat were without Jimmy Butler for a game of a half. Um, the Miami Heat were also without six-man-of-the-year Tyler Hero. So this is just what it is. The playoffs are like this. You need the good fortune of not having any injuries. And if, if that means you need to go in 
and get Chinese takeout and get some fortune cookies and, and get some good fortune that way. Do whatever it takes. There are superstitious fans and players out there that, that try to, uh, you know, be able to uh, resist and repel bad luck and injuries from hitting them. But it happens and it's nobody's fault, but we can't knock it. Everyone's gone through it, uh, every team. And the champion usually gets lucky in that regard. And in, in this case, the two teams in the finals, the Warriors and the Celtics, relatively speaking, were very healthy. And you could argue, argue the healthiest teams of the playoffs. Going into this series, the Boston Celtics were impressive. As much as I am not a Celtics fan, in fact, I generally hate the Boston Celtics as a franchise, as a fan base, um, I don't necessarily like many of their players, if any. Uh, they were impressive. They were impressive on both sides of the ball. Uh, defensively speaking, they held many opponents under 100 points. Well, on the offensive end, only were held under 100 twice in 18 games going into the finals under 100 points. And one of those games, they won 93-80 against the Miami Heat. Boston looked really good. And as I listened to a few previews to the finals, including Will Liu's um, preview, uh, which he did uh, actually a couple previews with Blake Murphy, Vivek Jacob, um, I also, uh, he also did one with, of course, co-host and producer Alex Wong. Um, there were many folks, especially those ESPN American cats, who believed the Celtics could win this series. They really thought the best team or, or the more talented team was the Boston Celtics. And so a lot of folks were worried, especially from Toronto, of having to see the Celtics win another title. They're 18th, in fact. And in game one, after a shaky third quarter that saw the Warriors get up double digits, Boston put together an, a historic fourth quarter that saw them go atomic from behind the arc, saw them score 40 points in the fourth quarter, on the road, in San Francisco for game one. And also, historical, they had a 24-point differential in the final quarter, the most in fourth quarters in NBA history. The score was 40-16. to 16. They could not miss, as if they had the mentality of OG in the bubble, this team was sky's the limit and untouchable as if MC Hammer Oakland's own was singing in the background. This team was lethal and won game one. And after going through two seven game series, you thought maybe this team is just that good. Maybe this team is going to be a team of dynasty. They got through two seven-game series, and then here they are on the road beating the Warriors with an impressive and historic fourth quarter.
But the series shifted rather quickly. And in game two, after another explosive third quarter by the Warriors, the Warriors cruised, cruised through uh, game two like uh, Bo did in the movie Hustle uh, when he was playing pickup games. Uh, This team was back to themselves and for the, only the third time in 20 playoffs game, playoff games, the Boston Celtics were held under 100 points, 107, 88. In fact, it was the lowest point total for the Boston Celtics the entire playoffs. Before then, they had scored 89 points in game one against the Bucks. 101-89, they lost. And here they were, game two, looking exhausted, uh, like jet lag had finally sunk in. This Warriors team lost by 19, and it was not even that close. At one point, down 29, and the Warriors were just rolling. Garbage time started early in the Bay Area, and the Warriors evened up the series 1-1. Now, Something that did not happen in the playoffs for the Boston Celtics. In fact, the last time it happened was in March of this season, in the regular season. The Boston Celtics did not lose two games in a row. And in game three, the Celtics, now at home in front of the Garden crowd, they would not allow the Warriors to win two in a row again. The Warriors came out with some energy, but Boston really looked like the better team. They had a double-digit lead in the second quarter at one point, and although the Warriors made it a nine-point game at the half, you really felt like they were lucky to be in the game because Boston was simply dominant in game three. The Warriors trimmed in the third quarter the lead down to single digits. It was nine at the half. It ballooned to 14. The Warriors brought it back down to four or five points in that in that uh, third quarter going into the fourth. So it was close. Um, the game was in the balance. But the Warriors, you felt like they threw their best punches. And if there was some counterattack, if there was some counterpunching left in the Celtics, which you felt like it did with Paul Pierce sitting front row and other Boston faithful there to will their team to victory and give them the momentum they needed going into the final minutes of the fourth, you felt like the Celtics were queued up to do that. And indeed, they were. The Celtics played very, very well. Al Horford was had another great game. Derek White was strong. And Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum had enough in the tank to easily give their team a victory and take a 2-1 lead going into Game 4, which meant Game 4 was, as they say, 
pivotal, pivotal. And if you had some doubts, you weren't alone going into game four. Uh, Game four also had a star-studded crowd. Game four had all the uh, kind of storylines set up for the Celtics to take a commanding 3-1 lead. Jason Tatum uh, was queued up for a big game. You could say that Jalen Brown was also ready to do something very special. And this young Celtics team, along with their first-year coach, Emi Adoka, really looked poised and, and in the right posture and mindset with that great confidence of, of the entire city behind them that they were going to win that game and really, with that uh, commanding 3-1 lead, make the Warriors' dynasty door close for good. In this playoffs, as well as this entire season, There has been one guy that has stood out a little differently from the rest. There was talk of, you know, five different guys at the start of the season being in that MVP conversation. And as the season progressed, you could say five guys had that kind of MVP caliber, even if they didn't have a full season of MVP-like play, you felt like they had that caliber, that they could take it to that other level, that that upper level, that upper tier crust that's needed to win the MVP award. Guys like Joel Embiid, who has definitely been in the running the last three years. Giannis Antetokounmpo, who has won it twice and again was in the running this year. Another center, Nikola Jokic had to be in the conversation. And of course, with his ridiculous numbers and playing without starters, uh, Michael Porter Jr. and fellow star Jamal Murray. Uh, Jokic, with all the work and win shares that he had this season, deserved to be there. But there was one guy, not Luka Doncic, who was a smaller guy who was an older guy. All those other other MVP candidates were in their 20s. And there was one guy in his 30s, smaller, even Luka Doncic is 6'7", 6'8", who had a great start, had an injury before the playoffs, and there were some questions whether he could return to that same MVP level going into the playoffs. But the two-time MVP, Steph Curry, showed very early in this playoff run that he is not only must-see TV, but that his game changed the way the the NBA plays. Coaches have shifted their entire offenses and defenses based on what Steph Curry and the Warriors have done in the last eight seasons. I remember watching, as you guys, as some of you guys have heard, Steph Curry shoot the ball against Vince Carter 
in the early 2000s when Dell Curry played for the Toronto Raptors. Steph Curry was just uh, about to be a teenager. And this guy's range and precision as a shooter were off the charts then. Steph Curry went in to game four with all the question marks around him. Was this dynasty done? Did Steph have the ability to play at the level of that kind of NBA constellation? Was he going to have a game that was worthy of what Giannis had done the year before, hitting 50 points in the closeout game in game six in Milwaukee? Or was Steph going to be seen as a great player, an all-time great, probably in the top 25, if not at the worst, the top 30? Was he going to be able to achieve something truly special? There was talks that maybe he'll never win an, an, an NBA Finals MVP, something that eluded him, something that was in some ways taken from him because Andre Gadala, I thought, and many others thought, uh, undeservedly received that award in 2015. Game four was something special. Game four is the type of game that you make sure your kids watch, especially if they're under six foot six. Steph Curry did what Allen Iverson did in game one of the 2001 finals against Shaq, Kobe, and the Lakers. In that game, Allen Iverson scored 51 points won the game for Philly. However, that was the only game they won. For Steph Curry, this was a chance to even the series and to reclaim home court advantage, take the series back to Golden State, and who knows what could happen with the momentum going back to the West Coast. And believe me, Steph Curry produced one of those games. Not only was he a plus 11 in game four, Steph Curry had 10 rebounds, including two offensive rebounds, had four assists, and with all the, uh, the attention and the ball going into his hands, he only turned it over five times. This man was an efficient, a ridiculously efficient 14 of 26 from the field, including hitting mid-range jumpers and making layups and floaters over big defenders like Al Horford, Jason Tatum, and star, sorry, Time Lord himself, Robert Williams. This man was 7 for 14 from behind the arc and 8 of 9 from the line. Steph Curry finished with 43 points in an absolute masterpiece. This game could be used as a master class to teach guards and young kids how to move with and without the ball. And Steph Curry played great defense. He had those eight turnover, uh, sorry, eight defensive rebounds, but he also made sure to make life difficult with his defense, 
Sure, did Draymond Green, Andrew Wiggins, and Steve Kerr help him out a lot? Yes, they did, but that's what good teams, good coaches, and good teammates do. But Steph held his own, and that 15 pounds of muscle that he put on in the last 24 months was key to making sure that he could endure the physical contact that he received in the game and that he was able to hold his own against bigger opponents, whether in the post or on drives. Steph Curry's Game 4 is one to remember and rewatch, and I will probably do that next week or maybe later this week. Who knows? But with Steph Curry scoring 43 points in 41 minutes, Game 4 was snatched away from all of Boston and Paul Pierce, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown. And the Golden State Warriors won 107-97. to And for the second time in the series, the Boston Celtics were held under 100 points. Folks, we always forget. I always forget. I'm probably the first one to forget that the Golden State Warriors defense is elite. Draymond Green played a great game, but Andrew Wiggins was excellent. Klay Thompson showed that his lateral movement is back. He didn't have the greatest shooting night, but Klay Thompson defensively did the job. And when the chips were on the line, when the most important minutes, the fourth quarter minutes came, Klay Thompson's defense was impeccable. The switching for this team was incredible. Gary Payton Jr. was fantastic coming off the bench. Uh, Looney, even Poole was great coming off the bench offensively, but also he put in that defensive work too. The Golden State Warriors went back home for game five with a lead. With a lead. Uh, sorry, with a 2-2 series tie, taking away a 3-1 series lead from the Boston Celtics. And right then and there, you wondered, was that it? Was Steph Curry going to continue to go off? And were the Boston Celtics going to be beaten by a team that just had more experience, more chemistry, and more savviness, craftiness? Well, game five came, and Steph Curry was a shell of himself from game four. But the Golden State defense was ridiculous. And the Boston Celtics really struggled offensively, although Jason Tatum had his best game, arguably, on the offensive end in game four. He shot 10 of 20 from the field for 27 points. But in this game, with the Celtics down 14 at the half, you wondered, did they have enough in the for, for the fourth quarter knowing that they had a massive third quarter comeback? A massive third quarter comeback. Unbelievably so. No one could have predicted the way this game played out, but no one could have predicted how the third quarter played out. The Warriors had dominated the third quarter throughout the playoffs, but also in the finals. And 
the Boston Celtics would not be denied in the third quarter, winning that quarter 35-24. Jordan Poole was able to make a half-court heave to beat the buzzer with a tenth of a second left on the clock as he released the ball. And the Golden State Warriors, with that bank shot half-court heave, took a one-point lead, 75-74, maintaining some level of confidence and belief for the Warriors going into the fourth. In the fourth, the Warriors were smarter, the Warriors were more efficient, and more importantly, the Warriors' confidence was above Boston. And for the third time in the finals, the Boston Celtics were held under 100 points, 94 points they scored. And the Boston Celtics, for the first time in the playoffs, lost two games in a row. Boston would go back to the Garden to face the Warriors in Game 6 with their backs against the wall as this was a closeout game. Now, many people wanted... More than they thought, many people wanted this series to get tied up 3-3 in Game 6 to send it to a Game 7. Because if you're a neutral fan, like I was, like many people were in this series, you want a Game 7. Those are magical words. Those are magical opportunities to watch a Game 7, especially an NBA Final. The last time NBA fans were treated to a Game 7 was, of course, 2016. LeBron and the Cavs versus the Warriors, who had won 73 games, a historic year. The most in NBA history, beating the 96 Bulls, who had won 72 games. So yes, there were a lot of fans, even People who were cheering for the Warriors in this series. Neutrals coming in, but were cheering for the Warriors for whatever reason. Wanted to see a Game 7. And you thought, after winning two in a row, it would be a lot to ask the Warriors to win another road game in Boston with that fan base going crazy. The Celtics started the game impressively. The Warriors didn't look shook, I will say that, but did look like they brought their C game and C effort. They were down 12 to 2 to start the game. And you were wondering if this game was going to be over, game 6 was going to be over by the end of the quarter. However, However, the Golden State Warriors were not all that faced. The Golden State Warriors knew that a lot of the game was still to be played and their shots would fall. And did they ever. At one point in the first half, the Golden State Warriors had a 21-0 run. And on top of that, the Warriors at one point led the Boston Celtics 52-25, to outscoring them after being down 
12 to 2. The Warriors took a double-digit lead going in to the second half. And now the tide was turned. The table had been turned over. And the Warriors had a 15-point lead going into the fourth. Now, Boston did everything they could. They weren't perfect. They weren't even as good in the third quarter in game six as they were on the road in game five. They had a lot of effort. Jalen Brown was magnificent in that third quarter. 34 points on the game, 12 for 23. Uh, Got to the line six times as well. He was good. But going in to the fourth quarter, they were still down 10. And that championship pedigree of the Golden State Warriors started to just burst out, started to really, really get big and bad and ugly in front of the Boston fans. Steph, at one point after a three, looked at his ring finger, saying, It's time to put that ring back on. We're going to be champions. Another moment saw Draymond Green trash-talking the Boston bench and the Boston fans as he hit a three. Steph also gave the goodnight Boston look with Jordan Poole doing the same on the bench after another Steph bucket. Steph Curry in this game was 6 of 11 from downtown. 12 of 21. Incredibly efficient. And because the ball was moving so much, Steph only had two turnovers to go uh, with his seven rebounds and seven assists. He was a plus eight. But the guy who played His best game of this series was Draymond Green, who almost had a triple-double. He was a plus 16, had 12 points, 12 rebounds, 8 assists, 2 steals, 2 blocks. And let me be clear about this stat. He had about 10 deflected balls that are not put on the regular box score, but I'm sure can be found somewhere in the analytic internet. Draymond Green gave his very best performance for game six and put an absolute boa constrictor chokehold on the offense of the Boston Celtics. For the third straight game, for the fourth game of the series, every Golden State Warriors win in the finals saw Boston held to under 100 points. And in game four, the Warriors took it 103 to 90. Folks, this was a dominant run by the Golden State Warriors. And more importantly, with another impressive game from Steph Curry, there is no questioning that this man is in the constellation of the very brightest stars. I don't know if he's in the Big Dipper, but yes, indeed, he is at least in the Little Dipper. 
Steph Curry is now in the top 10, in my opinion, and I'm sure many others, of the NBA's history. He is a top 10 guy. He is that good. The Warriors, with the win, give him their fourth title. And in just an amazing, amazing game and performance by all the Warriors. The Celtics lose three in a row for the first time since January before they turned their season around and were really the best team in basketball from that point until they made it to the finals. The Warriors were down 2-1, very similar to 2015 when LeBron, who had probably the most impressive stats of any player in the history of the NBA in that 2015 finals, should have been MVP that year in the NBA finals, despite him being on the losing team. Um, The Warriors came back winning three in a row against LeBron and, and the Cavs. Here, there were no injuries for the Celtics like there were that Cavs team. The Warriors were just better smarter, more together. Andrew Wiggins, Maple Jordan, as he was known in his rookie season, was excellent and erased all the doubters and haters that were throwing all kinds of shade at him and despicable comments all season. He had 18 points, six rebounds, five assists in this final game And that wasn't near his best game. He was best in game five. He was also brilliant in game four. What a series he had. Jordan Poole had another great game. And Jordan Poole, I think, grew up. He grew up to be a real professional. This was not someone who was hiding in the corner. This is not someone who just got lots of space like he did in the regular season because no one wanted the Splash Brothers to go off. Jordan Poole was a fine pro. In this game and was getting constantly uh, given instruction like Gary Payton II by Andre Iguodala who played the Adonis Haslam role and probably will again next year for a league minimum. This Warriors team has reinserted themselves in the NBA as the champions and reopen that dynasty door that almost got shut in game four. They would not let that happen. And this was a fun team to watch. This was a team that you watch to show that you can overcome not just adversity, but uh, matchup disadvantages. They were much smaller than the Celtics and all throughout the the podcasting world and NBA TV analysts world, all the commentary, all the belief was the Celtics are just too big. Uh, The Warriors looked like grasshoppers against the Celtics. But this team was just too smart, too nimble, too much poise and confidence. They didn't get shook. The Celtics looked shook. They looked like they didn't know what to do. Just a bunch of boys on the playground in game five when they're arguing with the officials. This Golden State Warriors team showed 
how you win in many different ways with many different players and looks. And the Warriors, like we've said in so many series, the Warriors at the end of the day had the best player. It was questioned. Would Tatum rise to to pure stardom, to be that kind of top five guy in the playoffs? He didn't do it against Jimmy Butler in the Heat, but the Heat didn't have enough to take that series. Steph Curry was the best player in this series, hands down. And he was able to impact the game on so many levels. And he deserved everything that came to him. The Larry O.B. Trophy and the Bill Russell Award for MVP of the Finals, his first. What an incredible season for this guy. Um, Top five in the NBA in the playoffs for sure. Probably top two. I would say only Giannis outperformed Steph, individually speaking. Um, And in the season, you look back, he was a top five guy in the league. Um, And and I'll tell you, this Warriors team, we'll probably talk about it a lot in September, October, but this Warriors team was without uh, Wiseman. This Warriors team will get better through Kaminga. This Warriors team is going to be a favorite again next season to come out of the West. Um, Probably Dallas will be right there as well and Memphis. But the Warriors are here. I think they're here to stay. As Draymond Green said, they will try to win as many trophies and rings as they possibly can until the wheels come off in the words of Draymond. But this was Steph Curry's championship. The dynasty has been validated, but his all-time greatness, his all-time level of greatness, uh, shone brightly and was solidified um, through what he did in the playoffs, but most importantly and specifically in the finals, game four, And Game 6 was just incredible to see from Steph Curry. He was on another level. And this Warriors team looks awfully good going into uh, next year. But forget about that. The Warriors are the champs. Uh, This summer will will be about Draymond Green trolling the Boston fan base, the team, and the city as he did all weekend uh, when there was no Game 7, Draymond Green on his podcast and on Twitter was trolling the Boston crowd and uh, even the coaches of Boston. Um, And this summer will be about how great the pool party will be. And they will be, I'm sure, beside the pool party all summer, uh, having a pool party all summer long, Uh, Just a a great feel, uh, a great um, tribute to Steve Kerr's coaching, uh, to NBA pedigree, not just championship pedigree. This is a team that saw uh, four guys play in the NBA. Sorry, four guys' fathers play in the NBA. Steph Curry, of course, with Dell, Clay Thompson, with Michael 
Thompson, who played for the Lakers, Andrew Wiggins, whose father, uh, I believe Mitchell Wiggins, played in the NBA Finals for the Houston Rockets in 1986, and of course Gary Payton II, who played in the NBA Finals as well in 1996 against the Bulls, he was there. So four guys who grew up um, with uh, wonderful fathers, uh, but but NBA player uh, NBA players as fathers, uh, three of which were in the finals. Uh, I believe uh, two of them were in the All-Star game, but uh, Clay Thompson, even if Michael Thompson didn't make an All-Star game, uh, Clay Thompson's father won the NBA championship with the Lakers. Um, it, it is amazing what this second generation of players, um, is like the, the, the pedigree, the poise is just so elite that it gives them a step or two up on their competition. Um, and it's, it's, it's pretty impressive to see and to have four guys in that position is amazing. I mean, we talked a lot about Gary Trent Jr. This year, uh, having his father play in the NBA, um, and how important that was in his development, but also in his confidence on the floor, and to have his dad go to the games and and be behind him um, is pretty exciting, um, and, and but but so valuable, so valuable to their success in the NBA. Um, this has been the longest solo project episode in the history of Jurassic Views, but I think it was it was definitely. Uh, coming and, and deserved. I think if Zaya and or Courtney were on this episode, we would go at least 50 minutes. And so I decided to go that long. Uh, we had two weeks off and we had to do a full recap of the NBA finals. And I hope uh, I gave you a good one. I hope you didn't fall asleep on me, although maybe you needed to sleep. And this was the, the easiest way to go to sleep by, my, by me boring you with the NBA finals review. Regardless, uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Really appreciate it. Uh, we've had over a thousand listeners, in, different listeners in over 35 countries, I believe 37 countries now. And uh, we just want to give a big thanks. Season two will start in, in about three weeks after uh, the NBA draft. Um, that's kind of where we're starting, kind of in that early July. Uh, we will start uh, the next season. So season three will start then. Hopefully for that first episode of the third season, uh, the, the big three of JV will be on. Uh, look out for uh, an episode later uh, this, this uh, week with, with at least Zaya, if not myself, uh, on the pod to set up the draft. Uh, one of Zaya's favorite nights in the NBA calendar, the NBA draft, uh, which kind of closes out the one season in the NBA and, and starts the next. And it kind of does that similar thing for us. We'll have uh, at least one episode um, that, that we'll ha- have to finish up season uh, two, but we will start season three soon. Um, again, thanks for, for all your support and, and your listening. And we'll catch up to you soon, y'all. Uh, enjoy the, the, the June weather. Enjoy the long, sunny days. 
and uh, we'll talk soon. Peace.